Comments made on the Ceratalk Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratech Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. It's time for High Contrast, the show where we talk about everything low vision for those folks who are trapped between sight lines. As always, I am Rodney Edgar of TechAccessWeekly.com, and this month we have a special interview conducted by Mari Hill of AI Squared's Zoomed In blog. She will talk to Kevin Shanley, co-founder of the New York Nightshades Blind Hockey Club, as well as Courage USA, which is a spinoff of the Courage Canada organization. This is a very interesting interview, and if you would like to send us comments or questions, please do so by dropping us a note over at resources at serotalk.com or send in an iReport on your iBlink app for iOS or Android. And now we'll send it over to Mari for this intriguing interview. All right. Good morning, everyone, or whatever time of day it may be for you right now. This is Mori for the High Contrast podcast on the Serotalk podcast network. And today I'm going to be interviewing Kevin Shanley. Now, Kevin is a professor of mechanical engineering at SUNY New Paul's in upstate New York. And he also happens to be co-founder of the New York Nightshades Blind Hockey Organization and president of the newly formed Courage USA. And we're going to talk about what that means, what Courage USA is, and what he's been up to in the future of blind hockey. But first of all, let's talk about what blind hockey is, because when I first kind of came across it, I kind of brushed it off like, okay, yeah, really? Blind hockey? Hockey is a kind of a visual sport. You have to see the puck. You have to see the other players. You have to see the side of the ice rink so you don't bang into it. Sounds like a real big mess to me. So, Kevin, could you please explain what blind hockey is? I'd be happy to, and hopefully you don't see it as much of a mess anymore. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) So blind hockey is very similar to ice hockey. It is played between two teams with players that are visually impaired. So in order to qualify, you have to be considered legally blind. So 10% vision or visual acuity or 10% field, all the way up to completely blind. And the way we manage the variety in vision is that typically the lowest sighted players or the totally blind players will be the goalie. And a lot of people get surprised by that at first, but the reason is the goalie doesn't need to navigate the ice very much. The net is six feet across, so the goalie need only move six feet from side to side, and they can use the goalposts as a way of tactile positioning themselves. And then all of the action comes at them, so they don't have to go find the action. It's right there for them. The next sort of level up of vision would be the defenseman. 
And again, this is for navigational reasons. So there's always a little bit of a variety among the defensemen. And the lowest sighted defensemen will be what we call stay-at-home defense. So they'll stay in their own defensive end the entire shift. And so they only need to navigate that one-third of the ice. The higher sighted defensemen will join with the offense and move up to the other end of the ice to try to help out on that end of the play. The forwards are typically our highest sighted players. And the reason for this is that they can navigate the ice easily without bumping into people and things too much, though there's always plenty of collisions in blind hockey. And they're also able to find the puck. If the puck goes into the corner or it stops somewhere and you need someone with a little more vision to find it and get it moving and get the play continuing on. There's some minor rule adaptations. The biggest is the puck that we use. Typically, an NHL-style hockey puck is solid vulcanized rubber, about one inch tall off the ice and about three inches in diameter. The puck we use is roughly twice that size. It's about five and a quarter inches in diameter and about one and three quarter inches in height, and that's to maintain the same ratio as an NHL puck. The puck we use is metal with a hollow core, and inside the hollow core we put ball bearings so that when the puck is moving around the ice, the ball bearings bounce around into each other, hit the sides of the metal puck so it makes a lot of noise so that the players who can't see very well are able to hear the puck and track the puck with their hearing. And how about in regular hockey, I think you can like hold the puck down, and right. in line hockey, you can't do that, right? Right. So that's uh, considered unsportsmanlike conduct if you take any action to prevent the puck from making noise. So the puck should be kept moving as much as possible because it's just not fair to the other players who can't see the puck. Right. How about when you have the puck and you're going towards your goal and you cross the middle line is the red line, correct? Correct. Yeah. So for those of you who are not familiar with the hockey rink, there are two blue lines and one red line that goes down the center of the ice. The two blue lines are about one-third of the way up the ice on either side. As your team gains the control of the puck and we cross the red line, One additional, this is probably our second largest rule adaptation, is that you must complete at least one pass before you are eligible to take a shot. The reason for this is when someone is skating with the puck, it doesn't necessarily make as much noise as when you are passing the puck from player to player. And so this action of passing gives the lower-sided defense and goalie an additional chance to track the puck so that you can't kind of sneak up on them and and score. What about checking? Are you allowed to check in blind hockey? There is no checking in blind hockey. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, there is plenty of contact, but any intentional contact is an immediate penalty. You know, and all of the other penalties in hockey still exist. We play blind hockey by IIHF rules, so they're a little more strict than the NHL. This is for player safety. Everyone must be wearing full protective equipment at all times. There's no checking, and there's absolutely no players allowed in the blue section of the ice called the crease where the goalie is 
because we don't want the low-sided or totally blind goalie getting injured because they don't see someone coming at them. Okay. So these things are taken very seriously in blind hockey so that we don't end up with injuries. Right. And what I find interesting is that really there's not a lot of adaptation to be able to do this. It's not really a lot of rule changes, right? No. When it comes right down to it. Yeah, compared to the more stylized games like beat baseball, the game itself looks like hockey. And people come and watch, and they're usually impressed that they're basically watching a hockey game. Right. And how about lifting the puck? Is there a limit on how high you can lift the puck? You're allowed to lift the puck. And what Maury means by lifting the puck is when you take the puck on your stick and shoot it off the ice. The puck does tend to stop making noise when it comes off the ice. So we've got a situation where the hockey net is typically six feet wide by four feet tall, but we will put a canvas barrier across the top foot of the net so that you can't shoot the puck too high and score. Uh, You're only allowed to score in the bottom three feet of the net. And this, again, is to help the goalies because if the puck is off the ice and it's not making any noise, if the goalie is totally blind or even low-sided, they have no chance at seeing where it is. And how did this all come about? Who developed blind hockey? Where did it get started? And I like to think that it's still sort of being developed a little bit, but it really it got its starts in Canada. There are two teams, the Toronto Ice Owls and Les Bouts de Montreal, which also means owls. <laughs> <laughs> they formed... Independent of one another, and it is a pure coincidence that their names are both owls. (laughs) But my understanding is that the team in Toronto was formed first. They existed for a number of years and then disbanded, and then have, uh, not so recently, but then have later on come back into existence. Whereas the team in Montreal, I want to say the team in Toronto started in the the early to mid-70s, and the team at Montreal started in the mid to late 70s. And they've been in existence continuously. So there's a bit of a rivalry there. The team from Toronto says that they're the oldest team, and the team from Montreal says that they're the longest existing team. So either way, they both deserve credit. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. There's also a strong team in Vancouver, and these are sort of the three big clubs across Canada. There's another team in Calgary that's sort of off again, on again. There's a team in Ottawa that's sort of off again, on again. And uh, Saskatchewan is starting to build a team as well. For a long time, all of these teams existed in isolation. So they sort of developed their own rules as they went along. Everyone was using a different puck. The team in Toronto was using a plastic wagon wheel, like from a child's toy. And they would put piano pins inside the wheel so that it would make noise. The team in Montreal uses an empty 48-ounce juice can. It makes an absolute racket on the ice. It it makes a ton of noise. They like it because it's slow, so it's a little more inclusive for players that maybe don't have as much experience. But the downside is it deforms easily, so they go through about six or seven in a game. So uh, they do have to buy a lot of cans, but they're inexpensive, so that's not too much of a burden on them. In 
2008, I believe it was, Mark DeMontis founded the Canadian National Charity Courage Canada, Hockey for the Blind. Mark is a very interesting character. He was a very high-level prospect in hockey. He was an NCAA recruit, was planning to come to the States to play college hockey, when suddenly he lost his vision, and that changed his plans. He took that experience, turned it into something positive, created Courage Canada. It was just him and a few of his buddies. He's since rollerbladed across Canada to help raise money. He's gotten a charitable number, and he's gotten a number of sponsors, and now has a full-time employee, Matt Morrow, who runs the day-to-day activities. And Mark is a full-time volunteer as president of Courage Canada. They do two things. One is they're trying to get out and teach children to skate and then eventually play hockey, blind children, of course. And the second thing is to organize the teams that are already in existence to blend the rules together from club to club to try to make one set of rules so that we can grow the sport into additional countries and eventually make it a Paralympic sport. So that's sort of the two-cent history of blind hockey. That's great. Kevin, and I like the story of Mark rollerblading across Canada and his passion for the sport because we all know that hockey is Canada's national sport. Absolutely. They love hockey, and I don't blame them. It's a great sport. And he didn't really want kids that couldn't see not be able to appreciate or even participate in the sport. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's right, yeah. And anyone who has the pleasure of meeting Mark, uh, it doesn't take long for you to realize that he is a passionate individual and um, he is going to go 110% into anything that he feels worth his time. Right. Now, I participated in an event that you guys just presented in Newburgh, New York, which was to introduce the sport of blind hockey to USA. That's right. Could you tell me a little bit about Courage USA and where you'd like to head with that? Sure. So myself and Christine Osika, who is another legally blind hockey player, we got together this summer and in collaboration with both Mark and Matt, we developed a sister organization to Courage Canada, which we call Courage USA, Ice Hockey for the Blind. This is an organization that is aimed at achieving the same goals that Courage Canada is currently achieving in Canada, down here in the States. We want to grow the sport. We want to teach children how to skate and eventually how to play hockey, blind children, so that they too can participate. And we want to teach and recruit adults to come out and play. And that's what we did On October 18 and 19 in Newburgh, New York, we had the first ever Blind Ice Hockey Summit in the United States. We had a total of 25 blind athletes from Ontario, Quebec, New York, and Vermont that came together, and we paired everyone off into two teams and uh, had two fantastic games. Saturday night, October 18, we had a triad session where people who had little to no experience were able to get out on the ice, 
push the puck around a little bit, see what skating was all about. We got two adults and one youth, seven-year-old boy, out on the ice to uh, give it a try. And then uh, immediately following that, we had the first ever blind ice hockey game in the United States with, I think it was about 22 blind athletes at that point. And it kind of worked out. We didn't plan this. We didn't force this to happen. But the first game ended in a tie. (laughs) Thanks to a last second goal, it ended up in a 5-5 tie, (laughs) which was nice. I think it was entertaining for the fans. I think everyone enjoyed themselves. We had a nice uh, banquet following that in which we were able to sort of get to know each other a little bit. It's still sort of a small community, so we need to get to know each other and hopefully grow that community. And then Sunday morning, we're able to get out there and do it all over again. (laughs) And all indications are that it was a big success. We've gotten a lot of interest. A lot of people have contacted us. Hopefully, after this interview, I'm hoping that more people will reach out to either myself or Mari and uh, want to learn more about blind hockey. Absolutely. And yes, Kevin, I can let you know that I had a wonderful time at that event. I was so excited to go that it was almost, I felt like I was a little bit crazy. It was was (laughs) like, okay, what am I in for? (laughs) I haven't played hockey in 12 years. I'm now 54, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but I was so excited, I scared myself. So, yeah, yeah, I had played just regular hockey on a women's intramural league about 12 years ago, and at that point, I became pregnant and at 43, so my uh, doctor said I should probably stop playing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I did have a good time, and... I think I would have had to stop anyways because there were a couple of things I was having problems with. One is seeing the puck. Yeah. It would come in and out of my blind spots, so I would react to it at the last second, which isn't always good. And there were moments where I couldn't tell if someone was coming towards me or away from me. And in those Mm. moments were pretty scary Yeah. as far as a potential collision happening. Yes. So I think I would have stopped anyways. So to try it again in a different format with other Mm. people who had the exact same problem or worse was pretty intriguing to me. And I felt like the rules kind of helped take the danger away. Although I can tell you after playing, hockey is hockey. <laughs> and <laughs> it doesn't completely take the danger away, but I suppose yeah. that's part of the excitement of it. It is a collision sport, whoever plays. <laughs> I did have a fear of one of those big French-Canadian Montrealers landing on top of me. But other than that, it was great. And we used very high contrast colored jerseys. One team wore yellow with black letters. And the other team wore black with white letters. I believe it was white letters, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Anyways, yellow versus black. Yeah. So typically in the NHL, you'll see a team wear a dark color at home. 
and the road team will wear a white jersey, uh, predominantly white with some color on it. That doesn't work so well with people who can't pick up contrast that easily. So we avoid white and we go with yellow as our road uniform. And then every team has a different color. We happen to be using the jerseys from Montreal and they use the black for home. The Toronto group uses blue. So yeah, any dark color will work. Right. And against the uh, white ice, you know, any color is Mm. pretty easy for me to see against the white ice. And I can tell you, I didn't have any problem knowing who was on what team. That's good. Yeah. Didn't know who they were, but when I passed the other team by accident, I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing I liked about, well, there was a lot I liked about it, but One thing I liked about it is, unlike some other blind sports like goalball, where in goalball, everyone wears a blindfold, so it's an even playing field. Mm. But for hockey, if you have vision, you use it. And I find it quite intriguing that no matter what your vision is, as long as you're legally blind or worse, you can play together. That's right. And use whatever vision you have. Yeah. So I find that interesting, intriguing. Yeah. And it's kind of weird that it works. You know, that has actually been a topic of debate for some time. You know, do we just blindfold everyone and level the playing field? Or do we let everyone use their vision? We ultimately went in the direction of allowing everyone to use the vision they have because hockey is a team sport. And we felt like there weren't really any other sports out there for the blind and visually impaired that really forced you to work as a team. Goalball is a team, but it's sort of individual tasks. Beat baseball is a team, but it's individual tasks. In hockey, you know, we feel that we've found a way, and we're still working on it a little bit to see exactly, you know, what level of vision should be out on the ice at any particular time. But we found a way that you're a team, you have to win or lose as a team. So you need to work together with the vision that you have, you know, so the lower sighted people have to do their job that is dictated by the vision that they have. And the higher sighted people need to do their job, which includes helping out the lower sighted people while they're on the ice. My level of vision is sort of in the middle among the spectrum of blind people. So I typically play forward when I'm in a tournament because I have a lot of experience, but I could easily drop to defense and, you know, my level of vision would be appropriate for that as well. On Saturday night, the 18th in our summit, I did that. I dropped to defense and was playing defense. And one of the things that you have to keep in mind when you're playing defense and you're a higher sighted defense that is a little different than when you're playing where everyone is fully sighted is that you want to get close to the goalie and yell out some cues to him, you know, to let him know where the puck is, where the play is, in case maybe he's missed something, you know. Coming down the right side, you know, puck's been taken away, you're all set, don't worry, don't worry, they got it back, hurry up, get down, you know, those sorts of things to try to help them out. So we feel that having everyone use their vision really promotes teamwork, and that's why we do it that way. I think it's fabulous, and I wasn't aware of that strategy by the defense telling the goalie what's happening yeah it's neat. there's a lot going on out there and it surprised me i have stargart which is no central vision 
but good peripheral. And I was surprised that people with RP, which is, of course, the opposite, very little peripheral, but better central, I really didn't know while I was out there people's vision loss. And they were so good (laughs) that really you couldn't tell. Yeah. You really couldn't tell. Yeah. And I think everyone has, especially trying out something like this, everyone has their own insecurities. You know, maybe I have too much vision. Maybe I don't have enough vision. Maybe I'm not a good enough player. And on my ride home, I was had a cab ride from Albany to my house. And the guy I rode with, he's 78 years old and plays hockey. Mm. And I was talking to him about this. And he said, you know, really, I mean, that's what pickup hockey is. People show up at the rink of all different abilities. Yep. And you get what you get. Yep. And you work together. And you work with it. And yep. that is what I find the beauty of blind hockey is yeah. it mimics pickup hockey. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, some people could be very low vision, but they develop a lot of experience over time and they navigate the ice quite skillfully. You mentioned an interesting point about the guy you happen to ride with was 78 and playing hockey. There are no age limits on blind hockey at all. We in the Courage Canada hosts a national blind tournament hockey tournament every year and last year we had an 80 year old as well as a 75 year old playing so there's no excuses (laughs) (laughs) i like that there's no excuses that's great so tell me about your first experience with the famous annual courage canada blind hockey tournament which occurs in toronto canada every year that's right Yeah, so it was amazing. Every year, Courage Canada hosts what they call the National Championship of Blind Hockey. And it's hosted at the former Maple Leaf Gardens, which is now owned by Ryerson University, but a very historic and momentous building. They have the entire facility blocked off for the entire weekend for blind hockey. They have rooms blocked in the hotel, which is immediately adjacent to the facility. So all of the blind athletes can easily navigate back and forth to their room, to the rink, to meals on their own. It's amazing the level of independence that everyone is able to exhibit during this event. But my first experience came two years ago in the inaugural tournament. I was playing in a rec league. I've played hockey my whole life, but just sort of like pond hockey and street hockey. And so I went to a league that was like a learn to play hockey league. I knew hockey at that point, but I felt that the people who were there to play hockey weren't going to be competitive and weren't going to be too worried about me missing passes and things like that. So I felt like it'd be a little more of an accepting crowd than a traditional rec league. And it was. They were wonderful. They really worked with me. I really enjoyed playing there. But I, I got frustrated, much like yourself. Um, I kept missing the puck, and you know nobody else worried about it, but it annoyed me. <laughs> and so one night I came home. I had had a particularly bad night of just uh, missing everything that came my way. And uh, so I was looking around on the Internet to see if 
someone had modified a puck for blind people because I had played beat baseball before. They figured that out. Maybe someone's figured out hockey too. And um, I stumbled onto Courage Canada. And they had all of this literature on their website about the National Blind Hockey Tournament that was coming up in two weeks. And it looked like a big event. So I found the contact information for the tournament director and I emailed him and I said, you have to be Canadian to play. And uh, I was just hoping to maybe get in the next year. And the next day he responded to me and said, no, there's no restriction at all as long as you're legally blind. And we've had a couple of people drop out. Do you want to come play? So long story short, 10 days later, I'm on a plane (laughs) heading for Toronto (laughs) to play hockey. (laughs) And just like you, I was excited. I thought I was crazy. (laughs) I probably was a little crazy. I didn't know these people at all. And uh, I'm flying up to play in their tournament. And um, it was just amazing. The first year, there were 45 athletes. We had four teams. It was the first ever truly tournament-style event in blind hockey, ever. They sort of collected everyone together, assessed skill level, and then tried to mix the teams up you know, as even as possible. You know, At this point, the game's not big enough to allow the teams that exist to play as a team because, quite frankly, the team from Montreal would just absolutely annihilate everyone else. <laughs> they played together so much that there's no way we could ever compete. So they split everyone up. We played together, and I don't know if there was more than you know one or two games that were decided by more than one goal. It really was an even event. It was wonderful. My team won a bronze medal, and that was really exciting. So I came back jazzed up and ready to go. Courage Canada put me in contact with Christine Osika, who was, you know, as I mentioned before, legally blind and has played hockey her entire life. Stargard's disease, much like yourself. Was an intern for Courage Canada the previous summer, but was not able to make the tournament because of some other uh, prior commitment. So I came back. They put me in contact with her. It turns out we were living about an hour apart from one another. We didn't know it. <laughs> and So we worked together to found the New York Nightshade, which we play weekly, and uh, we're growing membership every day. Hope to grow to the size of the teams in Canada, and, you know, all indications are that we'll be able to get there. We put that team together. We didn't have anyone but ourselves to go back to the tournament this past year, so we went together. They kept us on the same team, which was nice. They put us on uh, the yellow team, Team West, with a bunch of other very skilled hockey players. And we were fortunate that we actually won the gold medal this year. So we took some success, and I think Christine elevated her level of excitement after participating in that tournament. You know, I really cannot stress enough what a really earth-shattering event this tournament is for someone who's blind or visually impaired. And we both came back invigorated, started Courage USA, Ice Hockey for the Blind, and with that momentum, we were able to put on USA Blind Hockey Summit a couple weeks ago in Newburgh, and now we're gearing up for next year's tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was great meeting 
and playing with Christine. She's an amazing hockey player. Oh, yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And if she doesn't worry about large men falling on her, I guess I won't because she's smaller than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's so quick. I don't think anything could land on her. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's very quick. Yeah, I guess at last year's tournament, they called her Christine the, the scoring, scoring machine, machine, and she won Rookie of the Year honors. Wow, um, wow. With, I don't know, somewhere around 10 points in four games. Wow. Yeah, she also expressed what a life-changing experience that was. Because she's yeah. only 26 years old, and she's sort of just in the beginning of her Stargardt process, or maybe midway. And yeah, yeah. So she hadn't met anybody. Well, her sister has it. But other than that, she right. hadn't met anyone with her disease, and she met plenty yeah. at Courage Canada. Plenty of people, yeah. So I think yeah. that was real good for her. It was, yeah. I really can't stress enough how wonderful the event is. And even the venue, just the fact that you're able to have a hotel room next door so that you don't have to rely on somebody else to get you from point A to point B. You can go back and forth by yourself, yeah. and you have that autonomy. And the people were just fantastic. You don't get that often when you're blind, but the people were just amazing. The people who ran the rink, the people who ran the hotel were you know, asking us, how'd the game go? Who won? How's it going? You know, yeah, we were the center of the universe for that weekend. Wow, that's cool. And there were several deafblinds also playing, from what I understand. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, it is certainly not limited to only being blind. Uh, there were a number of deafblind that participated as well. I know we had two on our team. I want to say there's probably about a half dozen sprinkled throughout the tournament. It's fantastic. And I also want to point out that this ice rink and hotel that the tournament is at is pretty much in downtown Toronto, isn't it? It's right in downtown Toronto. A number of um, restaurants and entertainment opportunities, you know, within walking distance. And Toronto is an amazing city. If uh, you know, for anyone who hasn't been there, it uh, it really is a nice place. And I can let you know that you can get there on Amtrak. I know from New York City, Washington D.C., it goes up through Albany, and then over through Buffalo, New York, and on to Toronto, Canada via Niagara Falls, and also Porter Airlines goes there from odd places like Burlington, Vermont. I'm actually taking a bus up to Burlington, Vermont, and flying direct from Burlington to Toronto, and I got a really cheap fare, $100. Wow, So there's ways to get there from here. Right. And the public transit around Toronto is um, state-of-the-art, you know, fantastic uh, subway, buses, and then, of course, plenty of taxis around as well. So navigation was not an issue. Like I said, the first time I went completely by myself, I flew into Toronto, took a taxi from the airport to the hotel slash rink, and then beyond that, any train, bus, anything was easy. That's fantastic. Sounds like a nice... February vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like Toronto in February. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So, Kevin, how do we sign up for this event? And why do you want people from the U.S. in particular to go to this event? 
We want as many U.S. athletes there as possible. We want to build our own Team USA. We want to build our own United States National Blind Hockey Tournament. We want to build a Team USA so that we can hopefully in the near future have a game that is truly the United States versus Canada en route to a Team USA that we would bring to the Paralympics to compete against a number of countries. Anyone who's interested at all can contact the tournament director, Matt Morrow, at mattmorrow at couragecanada.ca or myself and Christine at nynightshade at gmail.com. Very good. And did we mention the dates of the tournament? So this year, the 2015 Courage Canada National Blind Hockey Tournament will be February 13th through February 15th. That is a Friday to a Sunday. And it pretty much gears up Friday morning. That's right. Yeah. So you should get there Thursday. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Any out-of-town travel they want to take place on the 12th, that's a Thursday. There's an off-ice seminar Friday morning. And then games will begin around noon on Friday. So the first year, there were 45 athletes. Last year, there were 64. Both years, there were four teams. Next year, they're expecting over 100. And we're going to have to grow to six teams. So, yeah, it's really caught on quick. And we really want to grow it fast on our side of the border. Right. We have to catch up with Canada. <laughs> That's right. We're, we're behind a little bit, but I'm, I'm confident that we can get enough American blind athletes out there to put up the numbers. Okay. So sign up, register, and have a lot of fun in Toronto in February. And join Absolutely. me and Kevin and Christine, and we're going to have a really good time. Absolutely. And anyone who wants to know more about blind hockey in general can go to courageusa.org or couragecanada.ca. And we will have those links in the podcast post. Wonderful. All right, Kevin, thank you so much for chatting with me. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. And I look forward to playing with you soon. I can't wait. Okay. And that concludes our interview with Kevin Shanley about blind hockey players. Thanks to Mari Hill for conducting this interview. If you would like to send us feedback, you can do so by dropping us a note at resources at serotalk.com or sending in an iReport on your iBlink radio app for iOS or Android. So that will wrap it up for this month. I am Rodney Edgar of techaccessweekly.com. You can find me on Twitter at Rodney Edgar, R-O-D-N-E-Y-E-D-G-A-R. And thanks again to Mari Hill, who you can find on Twitter at Mari Elizabeth, M-A-U-R-I-E-E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H. And you can find all of her musings over at AISquared.com slash zoomed in. Special thanks to Kevin Shandley for agreeing to do this interview and you can find him by dropping an email to nynightshade at gmail.com that is n-y-n-i-g-h-t-s-h-a-d-e at g-m-a-i-l dot com you can send your 
comments again to resources at serotalk.com. You can check out all the products offered by Serotech Corporation by heading over to serotech.com slash products, where you can try many of their software packages with free trials. You can also find out things about SPN by going to serotech.com slash SPN. As always, thanks for listening. And until next time, you have been listening to High Contrast here on SPN.